Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Joey Dwyer. He is our basketball writer at Vandy Sports. We will discuss that disaster in Tuscaloosa. Vanderbilt loses 101-44 to and get into what that might mean for Jerry Stackhouse and the future of Vanderbilt basketball. Joey appears on the guest line that is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael's a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call, 615-830-9458. Now on to our interview with Joey Dwyer. Joey Dwyer joins us. He's our basketball writer at Vandy Sports. Joey, uh, thankfully you did not go to Tuscaloosa in the icy conditions like you had planned and said you got to watch that disaster from TV, and that was really something. Yeah, I'm also glad I don't get or I wasn't uh, in attendance. But Chris, it's always sunshine and rainbows when we talk. It seems like, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, felt like Liam Robbins was going to be the story last night, and that was absolutely not the case. I thought the whole article was going to be centered around Liam Robbins first, and then the game. Vanderbilt just wouldn't allow that to happen last night. Yeah, that that decidedly did not happen. It, Honestly, it felt like about 10 minutes in, it was going to be one of those kind of scores. Yeah, I, I was talking about last night in the postgame show. It was just like, there's only so many ways to describe that. Vanderbilt got ran out of the gym. They got embarrassed. They got outclassed. There's only so many adjectives, so many ways to describe that game. And uh, I tried my best last night, but I just felt like I was being repetitive. There's The only stat that Vanderbilt really won was offensive rebounding. And you can kind of see why they want offensive rebounding because Alabama didn't miss many shots. Right. Alabama got any shot they wanted last night. Um, It just felt – if I watched back some of Alabama's possessions last night or this morning, and it was – why is Brandon Miller wide open on the wing? I have no idea. Uh, Why is Javon Quinterly wide open on the backside for a wide open three? No idea. For a program that wants to build its identity defensively, you giving up 101 points and knocking down or giving up 19 made threes is certainly not the way to do that. Felt like they had no control over the three point line, had really no control over Alabama. Alabama could do whatever they wanted, and Vanderbilt obviously had no answer offensively or nothing resembling an answer on that end. Well, this is my rule, but when the game is a 57 point blowout, the, the story is nothing in the game of itself. It's it's what caused this to happen, and that's the story. I mean, to just quit last night. I don't know how else to put it, and if you don't believe me, there is one stat I can give you, and that is that Alabama was 17 of 20 on two-pointers. So, I mean, and a lot of those were uncontested dunks. Yeah, I mean, Alabama just ran them out of the gym. There's no other way to put it. Alabama – just completely outclassed Vanderbilt from the opening tip all the way to the end. Even Vanderbilt's first possession of the game, which was one of 
I think they were up for like two minutes, 20 seconds. It started with the Paul Lewis three. That possession was chaos, man. Miles Studi drove on the baseline, threw it away. Ansong picked it up and threw it to Lewis, who kind of just threw a three up there and it went in. Uh, from that point, Bama went on that 21-0 run after it was 5 nothing, And Vanderbilt just felt – it felt like Vanderbilt had no chance at that point, even with Liam Robbins coming in. As soon as I saw Robbins miss those two – kind of baby hooks around the rim early two of his five missed shots to start the game there's no coming back from that it feels like that was kind of the breaking point to where if Liam Robbins can't hit shots tonight who's going to do it especially against a team with this athleticism and this defensive profile in general yeah it kind of felt like from the minute they announced the starting lineup I mean I shouldn't say that because he does some weird things with his lineups and sometimes they win those games but that was one of the least formidable starting lineups I've ever seen an SEC team start yeah that's against the number four team in the country nonetheless I we we both understand that his starting lineup isn't necessarily indicative of what his team is but man was that a Brandon Miller is in the starting lineup, and Mark Sears versus Paul Lewis, Miles Studi, Ansong, Keefe, and QMB. That is not a team that is going to beat Alabama, even if it makes 23s. Um, obviously, there's more reinforcements off the bench, but that was unbelievable. It just felt, for the first time this year, it felt like Vanderbilt just didn't stand any chance. I guess Kentucky was one of those games, but previously it felt like Vanderbilt could hang its hat on the fact that it had been in games with some of the better teams on its schedule, but the first Alabama game, the Kentucky game in this, I think that hook has been ripped off the wall, Chris. Yeah, that was not exactly a, a Ken Palm top 50 offensive lineup, lineup that they threw out there to start the night. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the – well, there's, there's two storylines coming out of this game, right? One is the disconnect between him and his team right now, and the other one is does he survive this. To the first, I think there is some stuff going on behind the scenes with he and Tyron Lawrence. Um, I have an idea of what that is. Go ahead. What I was thinking with Tyron Lawrence, um, I'm not sure exactly what you're thinking, but he's been harping on the veterans lately. He has not liked what he has seen from his veterans, particularly Jordan Wright. And it seems like Tyron Lawrence, even when Lawrence has a good game and we ask about Lawrence, it comes off as him saying essentially, yeah, he's really talented, but he's got to make plays for others. We need more out of him in this area, in this area, in this area. And this quote kind of stuck out to me from last night when Ari asked him about starting Keefe. He said, we're going to play the guys that do the things right. We've been telling some of the same guys the same things for two or three years right now. Obviously, that message hasn't resonated. I'm going to play the guys that do the things the right way. Stack talked about after also that he might be willing to take a few games here or there if that means building his culture and if that means showing his young guys that uh, whatever he's seeing from his veterans right now is not acceptable and if I had to make a guess on why Lawrence didn't play last night, that would be it. Uh, Lawrence traveled. Lawrence, I think I saw a picture of him at practice the night before. So there's certainly, it wasn't an injury. He wasn't on the injury report. You have to think, at least in my mind, that that had something to do with maybe uh, just, I don't even know. I don't even know what exactly he's getting at there. Maybe it's an effort thing. Maybe it's 
a selfishness thing like he talked about after Kentucky. There's a lot wrong right now. And I think the way that Vanderbilt's three arguably best players left this game is kind of a microcosm of how this game went and just kind of how the last few weeks have went. Robbins left the game looking like he got in a WWE fight. Jordan Wright left the game at halftime uh, because he was lightheaded from the same collision with Robbins. Um, and then Lawrence didn't touch the floor because of a coach's decision, which obviously isn't a coach's decision in that he thinks Lawrence wouldn't give them the best chance to win. It's got to be something more than that. So that's kind of my thoughts on just summing up what happened. It's just It's a lot bigger than the one game to me, although Stack thinks this is a game they can flush. Feels like that was just a complete disaster. And we're going to learn a lot in the next week of how they respond to this. If they go out and lay an egg at Ole Miss, I think they got some real problems in maybe that locker room and just how that team has responded to what happened last yeah. night. And by the way, that game is here, I believe. But yeah, I think the Ole Miss game will tell us a lot. I mean, certainly if they lose it, I think it'll tell us that the chances of them having much left in the tank are are not good. Uh, if they win it and play well, then maybe he can reclaim the team. But this is one thing that has bugged the fans, and they're right. This... I don't know how else you put it, this casual approach to games. Like, if we have to lose a game or two to me, for me to get my point across, uh, the, the reference to the the preseason, which obviously he meant pre-conference, but that seemed to be how he treated it. Like, how many games do you get to blow off when you're a head coach who's not been to the NCAA tournament? I think that's the question everybody's asking, and fairly. Yeah, it's the SEC. I mean, in year two, I guess that's – more of an acceptable approach, like, hey, we got to build my culture, but it's year four. That culture should be built. These are your guys that you recruited. So it's hard for me to see how, how I guess that's, I mean, I can see how it's effective in sending that message because it seems like the guys respect him, but it's year four. You're on the verge of going on a losing streak in SEC play. That's three games now. You lose to Ole Miss, that's four. Then you got Tennessee on Wednesday. That's not a game you're going to win. Then you have to go to Gainesville. That could turn into a six-game losing streak before they go to South Carolina. And uh, obviously Alabama's the game if you want to get a point across. Probably not going to get that game either way. But having a six-game losing streak is really hard to recover from when you're in the position that Stackhouse is in and the position that Vanderbilt's in in general. Well, I think the next two games for him are, are huge. Um to be honest, and I'll jump the gun on a question, I think he is going to have a hard time surviving this because I don't know how you put Humpty back together again. But just where I was going to go next is is here, Joey. Um, Saturday's game with Ole Miss, which is one of the three teams that I think on balance has been worse than them, the others being LSU and South Carolina in league. South Carolina unquestionably is worse than they are, although that was a close one here. Ken Palm has got that as a four-point Vanderbilt win and a 63-point favorite. The other one is Tennessee for a different reason. I don't expect them to beat Tennessee. Now, Ken Palm gives them a 14% chance that – Seems high at this point. I guess crazier stuff has happened, but I think the problem there is going to be that gym is going to be overrun with orange, and I think that's the other thing. Even if they play well against Ole Miss, I think attendance matters. I think fan buy-in matters. 
And I think that will be the thing that uh, is going to be hard for him to overcome if they get outnumbered in their own gym in basketball. I think that's probably my biggest thing, too. I don't think – I wouldn't say he's necessarily lost a locker room, although last night will tell us a lot about where that is. But it does feel like he's lost the fan base, and that's hard to recover from, especially in the SEC. Um, not an easy thing to overcome when the fans are kind of what's dictating a lot of what your program is doing, especially against Tennessee. That should not be a rivalry that's completely dominated by Tennessee. It feels like Vanderbilt should be at least – semi-competitive and I think you're happy with the on-court result if you get what you got the first game against Tennessee but although also um, Tennessee is just a lot better than they are right now and if they get blown out by Tennessee at home and if the gym is overrun with Tennessee fans feels a lot like the Kentucky game and I'm not sure they can afford another Kentucky game after what happened last night and what happened the first Kentucky game Ole Miss is one that's really important to me, though. I think that stops you from feeling like this thing is completely in the drain if they win that game. You were in the gym for the Kentucky game. What was the crowd split on that one? I would say well north of 50% Kentucky. Wow. Exact percentage. But I would say that was significantly more Kentucky fans than Vanderbilt fans from what I saw. Let's just go into the mailbag if you're ready. Yeah, sounds good. I don't know how much more we want to... I don't know how many more ways we can say um, Vanderbilt got demolished last night. Yeah, well, this will not be an upbeat mailbag, but I think it will be an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And it is sponsored by our friends at Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please give Taylor or Russell a call. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. We had a couple of questions on Tyron Lawrence, but I think we've summed that up pretty well, haven't we? I mean, I, you and I have talked privately. I think I have a – there's been a theory thrown up there privately on some things that happened um, or maybe something I, that I'm not comfortable going with at this point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's safe to say there is – there's a rift between he and Tyron Lawrence. Now, whether that gets patched over by Saturday, I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, I don't think they're best friends at the moment, and I think that's kind of the sentiment with him and a lot of his veterans right now, it seems, based on what Stack has been saying. Um, I guess holding them accountable isn't inherently bad, but also just kind of gives you a feel of what he thinks of their performance and their effort right now. Um and I don't think that's a great thing for a coach that's trying to keep his job after a tough season. Well, and with Lawrence, this may not be fair. I got the impression Lawrence was, if not his favorite guy on the team, certainly one of his. I know that when Tyron tore his knee up oh, a year or two ago, whenever that was, I know that that really broke Jerry's heart. I, I know that he's been close to him. Um, and again, that's not to say that can't be repaired, but to me, that's a name like if you had if if you had said like he's got a rift between somebody on the team and him, what are the least likely candidates? That is probably one of the names that I would have started with. I think I would also start with Ezra as well. But yeah, yeah. Going back through my Twitter and found this tweet 
from the Kentucky game, and it was a, another stat quote similar to one last night. I'll play our young guys and watch them get better before I take lackluster effort and selfish play from any of our older guys. And I think that's ultimately what his disappointment has come down to recently is just that he's not getting what he expects from his veterans, and that's not setting a good example for his freshman class that he wants to kind of lead his program over the next few years. And like I said, it's just not something that you would like to hear from a coach in year four who is fighting to keep his job and fighting to win over the fan base, win over administration. You don't want his guys who he's kind of backed to be not giving him what he wants. Even if they're not scoring, that's fine. But if he's getting the effort he wants from them and he's coming in every presser and saying, oh, they're playing hard. I like what I'm seeing from them. I think it's going to turn eventually. That's different than him saying, I'm tired of lackluster effort and selfish play from them. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Okay, Dylan VU32, do you think the players have quit on stack or the administration? I guess he meant has the administration quit on Stackhouse. To me, I mean, Joey, I don't know how else to say it other than last night. Yeah, they. I thought they did quit on him. I thought he quit on them too. He spends a lot of his time standing up and, and do. I mean, Jerry is not the most involved coach in, in terms of shouting out instructions and stuff, but he just sat on the bench with his stoic look on his face last night, and I didn't see him trying to do much. Is that fair? I, w- I think I'm going to hold off on saying they've quit on him until I see how they've responded Ole Miss. But yeah, last night kind of hard to argue that 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 was the Vanderbilt team that had hung their hat on. We really compete. We stay in games with all these teams, and we are a team that is going to give you a tough fight every night. That wasn't the Vanderbilt team we saw last night, and that's not the team that Jerry Stackhouse wants to build or is trying to pitch to administration in terms of, hey, we play hard every night. We're going to turn this thing once we have some more talent. If games like that... I'm not saying that's going to consistently happen. 57 points in a conference game is unbelievable. But if a game like that or Kentucky happens again, where it's just so noticeable that they don't have a chance from the 10-minute mark and they don't make a push back, hard to see how this thing turns positively. Yeah, the question about the administration... I will maintain this. I think that that is going to be the chancellor's call. Um, I, I think the way somebody explained it to me, 
how do I say this? Well, I'll just leave it at this for now. I think that that will be his call to ultimately. Uh, no, if Candace goes to him and says, I think it's time that we make a move, then, then yeah, I think he'll be on board with that. I, I think if she doesn't do that, uh, because that's happened once, I, I don't think she was on board with making a women's basketball coaching change. Um, well, and the reason I, I think you can say that is that Adam Sparks had done a, a piece on Stephanie White and Candace, I think, had said she would retain the job. And then about a month later, they made a change. I know for a fact that when Turner there was there, Malcolm Turner wanted to make a change. Uh, she didn't want to do it then. So this will be, if it comes from the chancellor's side of things, this will be the second time. Um, and I guess you can make what you want to Derek Mason. I was hearing talk of Mason being gone before the season even started in 2020. So I, I don't know if that was Chancellor or Chancellor and her or both. Um, probably both. I think it was. But the, the point I'm getting at here is if the Chancellor wants to make a move and he has to be the guy to initiate it twice, that is generally not a spot you want to be in as an athletic director. It is someone who I talked to in the industry that is familiar with how these things work at different schools told me this morning. Yeah, I think you'd have a lot more background on the administrative side, obviously, but it's hard to disagree with that. And I think from what I know, it seems like Stack and um, Story Lee have a solid relationship. How much does that affect things? How much does she believe in him? I think... Pretty soon we're going to be able to tell. Um, I think it's going to be an obvious decision at some point, and but I'm not sure that it will be obvious the move they make, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, to, to be fair, that would not, from what I have understood from multiple sources, that would not have, Stackhouse would not have been our choice back when they made the hire, mm-hmm. what, three, four years ago now. But... I think that, and look, this has been spun as it didn't really affect the buyout, that kind of thing. I don't know if that's true or not. That is perception. So let's just go with that and and assume it for the sake of this discussion. I don't think that helped her publicly, um, identifying him in a bold way and saying upward trajectory of the program. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess compared to, three-win conference seasons, it's upward trajectory. I don't think the fan base wanted to hear that or liked hearing that. I don't know what she had to gain by coming public with that extension before the season because to me, and I said it at the time, there was a lot more I thought that needed to be done before you push your chips in on Jerry Stackhouse. And that's the thing that I think if she had just not done that, I think public perception from the fans would have been more on her side because there was no reason to do it. The minute she did that, I'm not going to say they put her head on the chopping block. That might be that might be much. Maybe it won't be. I don't know. But um, I thought that was unnecessary on her part. Yeah, and I was. I think my second podcast on the beat with you was about that. So I think I was a little more on board with the extension because I didn't have as much context. But looking back on that. I also would not have made that move. I think that's a move that 
was kind of unnecessary at that point. Obviously, you want the recruiting momentum. You want to show that you have belief in him. But there's no reason to, that he can't prove it this year, and then you can do it after the year if that's the case. Just kind of feels feels like they were kind of bidding against themselves there, and it was a little yes. bit premature. Yeah, I, I don't know what they were trying to protect. From what I have always heard from the beginning is he either wants to be a head coach in the NBA or he wants to be the coach at North Carolina. Well, the, the UNC one filled a year or two ago. Not that that was going to happen anyway. So I really don't know other than perception with recruits what that served. And he had he had years anyway. So Yeah. I don't know. I think I I was a little I was a little too on board with that move when I got on the beat at first, but as you know, I was I did not have the context that you have back then. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested because I I do think the move I would be surprised if the move were initiated by anybody other than the chancellor. Interesting thought. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't disagree. Yeah, I I will tell you another thing that I, I've sort of picked up on. I think that after the Grambling loss, he lost most of the fan base. And I don't think they were willing to give him an easy pass to get on board. I'm not saying that most weren't, but Jerry had built up a lot of bad will. And I think that was sort of the jumping off point for a lot of people when they lost to Grambling, unless there was something to, you know, beating Tennessee on the road or something that sort of neutralized that. I think once that happened, he lost a good bit of the fan base. Now, I think there were still some donors of importance that were still either on board with him or maybe more accurate, open-minded. I think that some of those people were pretty irate after what happened last night or are not on board as much or something. I don't know what the right word is, but I've been hearing some some talk of those sorts of things today as we do this on, what is it, Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, Chris, I, uh, I won't give a... I won't say this is a negative endorsement of the Vandy Sports Message Board, but I do think it's fair. It was not a fun place to be last night, and uh, it's a, that's a fair that's a fair assessment because it shouldn't have been a fun place to be. But Vanderbilt has had too many nights that have made the fan base feel this way. Grambling, Southern Miss wasn't a bad loss. Uh, well, I guess it was a bad loss looking back on it, but on paper, it's not that bad of a loss. Kentucky was one of those nights where it just feels like the fan base is drained, and then last night was probably the lowest point of the season it feels like Vanderbilt's had too many nights where it's made the fan base feel that way um and I think that's a lot a lot of where it's coming from along with obviously some other things like the blocking fans on Twitter and everything along those lines we've talked about that at length before well I want to put up one endorsement for our community right now it has not been the happiest place to be recently and, and I don't think that's that's fair to cast that on the fans i mean it's it's what you have in front of me they're fan the fans are plenty happy when they win games and do things but that's not been happening a lot lately oh yeah our our message board if you have never been there if you want a true representation of what fans think i don't think you will find a better place than our board because you've still had people defend stackhouse even after the grambling loss and things like that you've had a lot of people that wanted to gone. One thing I like about our message board is you basically will get all opinions represented uh, across a spectrum of uh, everything imaginable, including uh, the the political end when that comes up. Yeah, and 
that wasn't meant to be a shot at them. That's a completely fair. I would be thinking the same thing if I was on the board that night. But uh, yeah, it's it's good discussion always, and it's always good people. So there's nothing wrong with it. It was just yeah, not the most fun night on the board. Uh, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, I'm sure. No, and and frankly, when I knew where this was going, I don't know that I watched much of the game. I was a lot more interested in fan reaction, and it was <laughs> it was certainly interesting if if one-sided, but, um, mm -hmm. okay. Next one, go doors 94. What have other power five schools done with head coaches who have similar records to stack following year four? I want to, I'm not going to say sidestep the question because you may, you may have some ideas, but I wanted to compare them because I think there were three coaches who came in the league that year in the sec. First was Nate Oates. Here's his records overall in SEC the last four years. 16 and 15, 8 and 10, 26 and 7, 16 and 2, 19 and 14, 9 and 9, 19 and 3, 9 and 0. Obviously, the last three years or the last two years NCAA tournaments. And this team certainly charting not only for a tournament, but probably for a one seed. And the other one would be Eric Musselman at Arkansas. And let me pull up his record at Arkansas. He has gone 2012, 7 and 11, 25 and 7, 13 and 4, 28, 9, 13 and 5, and, and so far 15 and 7, 4 and 5 in the league. And of course, he's been to back to back Elite Eight. So, year number two, Oates and Musselman both turned it around at those places. And again, you can say Arkansas is probably an easier place to win in basketball than Vanderbilt, I think it is. Uh, and Alabama, too. But, I mean, hey, both those teams had coaching changes because it wasn't going well. And th those are the two guys that were his peers that came in with him in the league. I don't remember if there was another one. I don't think there was. Now, I don't know if you can, off the top of your head, come up with head coaches who've had similar profiles to stack uh, four years in. Now, I, I did talk to Luke Wyatt this morning, and he said, you know, one thing we should have talked about in our podcast this week – was comparing him to Kevin Stallings because I think the league record is probably sort of similar to where Stallings was after four years, and that was a good point, and Kevin did turn it around. But um, I think in some ways circumstances were different. One was that Kevin had recruited better. So I don't know if you've got an answer on that other than what I just expounded on there, but I think the comparison to his peers in the league is an interesting one because it has been very different from what those two guys have done. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. The question was asked while I was in class, and then I walked straight here, so I didn't have a chance to fully dive into uh, comparable guys at that stage, but you'd have to think that some other schools would be maybe a little bit less forgiving to guys with his record in year four and the trajectory that the program has gone in this year. You've heard about the upward trajectory for years. This year has not shown that. It's been a step back. The recruiting class isn't good enough to – say we got to keep him so we can get these guys there have been classes i've seen in the past that are good enough for that i.e kentucky this year is good enough to justify keeping cal on that reason alone vanderbilt's class is solid they have some good players it's not not worth that um but yeah i would say vanderbilt's probably going to be a, maybe a little more forgiving i think at some schools this would be a no-brainer but i certainly don't think vanderbilt's going to completely flush this 
Yeah, I don't know how many Power Five schools have given extensions to coaches with a less impressive body of work through three years than his. And I get that wasn't the best situation coming in, but they weren't devoid of talent either. They had Neesmith, they had Pippen, they had Saban Lee. In hindsight, I think that 0-18 bar that Bryce Drew set really benefited him. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of his better arguments as to where the program is now. He's He's almost the default safe option at this point because I guess if you make the wrong hire, the case is that it could get back to that, but it could also get a lot better. Stack, you kind of know you're probably not going to get an 0-18 team because they're going to fight. They're going to win a few games that they probably aren't supposed to win or shouldn't win. He's kind of a safe bet right now. If Vanderbilt wants to take that next step, I'm not convinced it's with him. But his case right now is probably that he's almost the safe bet and that he wouldn't get to that point. VU Matt 23 is eating at a hibachi restaurant before the game. The worst excuse a Vanderbilt coach has ever given for losing a game. Look, you were there on the press conference and heard it for yourself. So what was your takeaway from how he handled that? I don't know that that was an excuse for losing the game. That's From what I heard secondhand, it didn't sound like that to me. But let's get your take here. Before I answer that, this is the reason why you should be on the Vanity Sports message board. Because I, I saw a few threads mentioning this and it's it's incredible content but yeah. uh the reason i think he i think he was just kind of throwing stuff at the wall trying to maybe funny i don't think that was a legitimate excuse but it is, it is funny to think about he basically was asked i think it might have been my question like do you think this is a anything that could be a long-term thing tonight and he was basically like no i think this is something that just a kind of an out of body night. We ran into the wrong team at the wrong time. Uh, we came out a step slow. Maybe it was because of that hibachi we ate. Something along those lines. So I think it was more of it was more of just an attempt of him trying to be funny. But not a lot's funny when you lose by fifty seven points. No, it's 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 <laughs> once you lose by fifty seven, there's no more fun in games. But um, okay, I think this is a request more than a question. Papa View Hick wants to know if you're attending Saturday's game, which I believe you are, and he wants you to make an informed guess on actual attendance rather than seats sold and uh, the reaction when Stackhouse is introduced. I do think those will both be interesting topics. Yeah, I'll definitely keep an eye out for the second one. The first one, I would assume, I guess I'm trying to think of a real number, but I would say a little more than South Carolina because the students will be back. It's a Saturday. The morale's got to be pretty low around the fan base, though, I'm sure. Okay. Um, Oh, he wants to know your starting five for Saturday. So there was one question in there. That might be the most challenging question we've got the whole podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it could be. What what if they just go straight walk-ons? Do they have enough to to round out a starting five? I think they only have three. Okay. So then... um, They could go with the two freshmen who have played the least, which I guess would be Noah Shelby. Would it be Dia? Yeah, but what did Shelby have to do to get in the game last night? Good grief. I I do kind of – I mean, last night was different, but I do kind of see where Stack's coming from with him not getting legitimate playing time. The defense has not been on the level that it needs to be. The shot selection has been not great as well. But, yeah, last night, what's the downside in giving him a shot? Um yeah, 
with the starting lineup, I might have to just make a random gener- number generator going to 14, assign each player a number, and then I'll give you an answer from there. I think Quentin Malore Brown is a good one. I mean, I think he'll be in there. Yes, yeah, Studi seems like he's in there most of the time, but after after that, all bets are off. Paul Lewis was okay. I would assume Paul Lewis probably cracks the lineup again. Um, just trying to look down the roster. Ansong was okay. He had six on two of five. Ansong always plays solid defense. I guess that would be one. Depends on. I guess it depends on the week of practice, kind of how he wants who he wants to send a message to, who he thinks responded well to this, I guess, is probably more of more of what's at play than what actually happened in the game. But, yeah, I, I, I might just make a random number generator with 13 names, put QMB at the five, go from there. Okay, uh, Pop Hick VU wants to know, do you think Stackhouse has quit on the players? I I'm not willing to paint that with a broad brush for <laughs> the rest of the season, but I mean, look, last, last night nobody was giving a effort, including him. Yeah, and it's hard to when you're losing by as much as they were losing by last night. I don't know that there's much more he could have done in terms of coaching. They were down all these points, and at what point do you just not want to give away? kind of what you want to run if you want to, you kind of just want to free flow at that point but yeah I wouldn't say that generally he's quit on the team either I would say he's he still believes that maybe they could turn this thing around a little bit and he's sure as heck going to try his best I don't think I don't think he's quit on the team or quit on the job yet all right, I'm going to answer this question for both of us unless you got a better idea. Um, bring back Joe Fisher. How can we fire for cause? And what is your belief of Daniel Deermeyer's opinion of Jerry Stackhouse? I'll just say that I'm not going to get into the fire for cause thing because I don't, I don't know that you can do that. But I'll just say I think that Deermeyer's opinion is the one that I'd be worried about it if I were Jerry Stackhouse. And I'd just leave it there unless you've got something else to add. No, I do not. Oh, you. Well, we are out of questions in the mailbag. I'm done if you are. That was a really bright podcast, Chris. That was a real cheer. I mean, it kind of matches the weather outside. It's been cold and damp and dreary, and the the sky's been that gunmetal gray color for, it seems like, weeks on end. And it's just a a dandy time of year here at Fandy Sports. I think we need to talk about Liam Robbins before we get off. Oh, yeah, you, you do have a point there, so have at it. So going into the game last night, like I said, I would have thought that was my entire article before the game was about to be centered on Liam Robbins and his return. I just think that's huge for Vanderbilt. Gives him a lot bigger margin for error. He's the shot blocker. He can clean up a lot of guys' mess down there. I don't know I don't know how much validity there is to the run stopper thing after last night with the twenty one oh run, but generally when he's not when it's not his first game back in the lineup, he's kind of the guy they turn to to stop that run. Um, just think he's the stabilizer for them, gives them a lot larger margin for error and is really important to what they want to do here if they want to turn this around. So Robbins being back sooner than expected is tremendous news for Vanderbilt on a night that they didn't get really any good news or any positives outside of maybe Paul Lewis 
having an all right night. Yeah, I think we've just about exhausted it. It's to that point where unless he can grab several wins down the stretch, I just think that the who's going to be the, the next coach conversation is going to drown everything else out. Yeah. Right, right or wrong. I would say you're correct. Isn't it going to be fun in, say, May, when we're talking about some of their transfer portal targets instead of a 57-point loss? Just talk some optimism, talk some, talk some player profiles. Well, that, that is where I'm a little concerned for them. I just don't think the portal Correct. is going to be an easy way for them to rebuild. No, the right coach with the right connections may be so, but that is going to be a tougher road for them than it is most of their peers. Yeah, we should do a podcast on that one day, especially if they make a change in the offseason about just kind of how good of a job it really is because I think that's kind of an underrated part of it is that the portal is really taking college basketball by storm and Vanderbilt, I don't know if they're as capable of using it as other schools are and that's not the coach's fault by any stretch but when you take that Vanderbilt job, you have to trust your evaluation in high school players. You have to stick with those high school players and if they're not, if they don't pan out things can get ugly for you and it's also not a quick turnaround because you have to rely on guys developing that you get out of high school and the transfer portal targets are obviously limited like we said uh, I, don't, I think you'd have a better idea the NIL thing but that also factors in and I don't think that's maybe at the level of some of the other SEC jobs so I'll leave it at that for now but I do think that would be an interesting topic in the future just talking about how good of a job it really is yeah I, I think it will be too and I, I think depending on who you talk to because I've been doing some I've basically been doing a little bit of diligence on this ever since they lost to Grambling because mm-hmm. that's you want to be ahead of these things and it whether it's a good job or not depends on who you talk to. And even the people that think it could still be a good job have a lot of questions. And some of that involves uh, or revolves around NIL and portal because those are huge things. And I think there are, uh, well, I'll put it this way. I think Vanderbilt, if it does have a coaching search is going to need to be very well prepared to give the right answers that appeal to the right candidates for both those. Yeah, I do think it's a much tougher job than when Stack got the job. It's certainly not as appealing maybe as it was then. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably fair. But uh, we may find out in about six weeks or so. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Joey was an interesting podcast today. Maybe not the most fun we've had, but thank you for joining us at a time where I know a lot of people want to know what's going on. So hopefully we did a good job of providing that. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. Always enjoy it, even if it's talking about a night like this and some topics like this. But shout out to the VandySports.com message board. Love you all. Not a, That was not a slate on you guys. I would not have had um, positive thoughts after that game either. <laughs> no, we're, we're all good. Hey, Joey, thanks for joining us. Yep, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, 
and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.